Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. This week, I am sitting down with Sam Seidel, the K-12 Lab Director of Strategy and Research at the Stanford D School, and he's recently a co-author of Creative Hustle, Blaze Your Own Path and Make Work That Matters. I am so excited to talk to him because it so much aligns with what we do at LCG. We help brands matter to their target audience of educators, administrators, and parents. And we're just big believers in work that matters, do things that fuel you. So Sam, as I do with some of my guests, I go back to Twitter and see when we first met. <laughs> because I said, you know, gosh, it's been a minute since me and you connected. I followed you and go, gosh, just this, this guy is doing a lot. But according to Twitter, we first met in person when you came to Skywalker Ranch when I was working at Edutopia. Oh, that's right. Um, in 2014. <laughs> so you tweeted out a picture with you behind the Yoda statue and we exchanged, it was nice to meet you tweets. So I, I remember meeting you, but that like confirmed we first met in person at Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> Man, that is, that's an amazing tactic. I got to do that more often to try to track back. Yeah, like, it's those, like my CRM or something. I'm like, and, gosh, and when was the last And time? I remember that picture. Uh, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned that picture because I remember Cindy told me, you'll get more comments on this picture on, I think we were talking specifically about one social media platform. I don't need to advertise for anybody in particular, but she said, you'll get more comments on this platform for this picture than anything. And she was right. That was like, <laughs> set off an explosion of comments from people. Um, so yeah. that's funny that you mentioned that picture. Yeah. It was funny. It was it was like almost was that eight years ago. So fast forward eight years, you have been up to a lot. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of your bio for our audience. Um, you before we met, you obviously studied at Brown University. You, I didn't know this about you, but you taught at a maximum security maximum security unit of a juvenile prison. And our listeners know for me, incarceration is something near and dear, especially as it relates to education to my heart. My my father was incarcerated for most of my childhood, so I know what it does to, I know what it does to communities and families. And I know that this is a broken cycle that's incredibly prejudiced and injustice and like all the things. So I am excited to talk to you about your experience. And I know that you weave that a little bit through the book too. So- Sam, he speaks internationally about education, race, culture, systems, design. He has built and directed programs with and for young people affected by incarceration. He leads design strategy projects for organizations throughout the country. I mean, I could go on and on, but you also are a thought leader and you have writings that appear in education publications, such as Education Week, The 74, Voices in Urban Education. Um, people have written about you in Egyptopia, which is where we had that connection too. Right. So um, we'll put Sam's bio in our show notes because it is long and lengthy and you have been doing so much good work. Um, and I'm just excited to dive into your book and all of the things with you. So our audience today, we're gonna be talking about his latest book um, that he co-authored, um, Creative Hustle, Blaze Your Own Path and Make Work That Matters. So if you don't know what that means, um, it's okay. Come on this ride because you will not regret it. But I do believe it may just help some of you identify and navigate your own creative path from your own unique gifts. I think sometimes we forget we all have different skill sets and gifts and, and what you could be doing that leads you to a life that does things that matter. 
So whether you're an educational professional in ed tech or you're an educator kind of in this wayfinding moment to your why, I, I really hope you'll stick around because this is going to be a very inspiring conversation for you. So welcome. I know that's a very lengthy intro, Sam, but I'm just so excited to have you on. Welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. Thank you. You've got me excited about myself. Like I'm like, wow, this guy sounds great. I'd love to meet him. Um, no, thank you. I, I, maybe we can start traveling together, and you can do like a hype. You can hype me up and uh, hype the crowd up. I mean, all the stuff, all the bullet points are true. Um, but wow, the way the way that you're talking about my career makes me um, feel excited about it and excited to talk with you about how it's kind of all. I like your. I really appreciate your point. I mean, first of all, thanks for sharing that piece of your personal story about your connection to um, what incarceration does to, as you said, communities and families. And um, I, I appreciate that you noticed the way that that part of my work is woven throughout this book, because while it's not at all a book specifically for educators or folks in the education sector, uh, I, I that is present. Um, and my experience is um, working in, in the prison, as you mentioned, and, and working in education more broadly throughout the past few decades are definitely present, even in a book that is not explicitly about this sector. So and thank you for seeing that. I, I feel seen in, in you <laughs> making that note, which was kind of off the script of my bio, but about um, your experience engaging with the text. Yeah, and I think that the way that it comes through is the way that it's accessible and you highlight stories of anybody, you know, it just feels empowering in that way where it's not, and I, it's, it, there's so many little nuances that I could just feel and see. So I appreciate that. And I, it, it Thank came you. from somebody was, with an inclusive, like. It was a big author. intention. Um, so, so you mentioned earlier that I co-authored. Mm -hmm. Creative Hustle, and I, I want to shout out Olatunde Shabomahin, who's my co-author on the book and brother in this work, and um, just uh, somebody who I feel incredibly lucky to get to collaborate with, both on the book and on a bunch of other work that we're doing in the world. Um, it was really important to him and I that uh, we do what you just described, which is like sharing stories of a really diverse group of folks. And I mean that in terms of race and gender. I mean that in terms of kind of a, you know, point in career. Um, and I mean that in terms of like what types of creative endeavors. So redefining um, how people might think of what a creative career or life is um, to include the, the arts for sure, filmmaking, photography, those sort of things, but also music, but also politics, community organizing, um, cooking, you know, like really, really expanding um, how it's often talked about, right? And and also who gets the light shown on them when it comes to um, these kinds of books and stories about folks who are just incredibly entrepreneurially savvy in addition to their creative brilliance. Um, and far too often the books, the spotlights we see um, are pretty narrow in terms of focusing on mostly white mostly men um, and mostly folks who that entrepreneurial um, brilliance has played out in a, in a pretty like um, narrow business uh, yes. lane. And we really wanted to blow all that up and, and expand the conversation. So thank you for, for seeing and appreciating that. No problem. So why don't we start, start a little bit higher up, you know, your book is titled creative hustle. But let's start with creativity, because in education, we've talked about it a lot. Sometimes we don't necessarily have the recipe that helps foster it quite right. Um, you know, there's definitely thought leaders like Sir Ken Robinson, rest in peace, Tony Wagner, that they all talk about these types of how we how we should start thinking about creativity and fostering it and creating that confidence around creativity and education. But you talk about how, why most people become less able to be creative or less able to claim it as their identity as they get older. Um, you do want to talk about like your definition of creativity and how maybe we can all frame it differently. Because if you ask me if I'm a creative person, I, I really scrutinize myself and go, maybe like a couple fingers up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it gets, maybe this word is too dramatic and too violent, but it gets it kind of beaten out of many of us um, through 
unfortunately through our schooling a lot of times um, and also in, in careers uh, where we're sort of sent messages, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly, that our creativity is not needed or welcome. Um, or it is, but only in a very specific lane, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, depending on, on what you're, you're studying or what your job is, um, you might get the message that like, within this particular small area, we really want you to, to be creative, but we don't want your ideas about other things. Like if you show up with your, your guitar, like that's, that's not part of the plan here. Um, and I, I think that, you know, one of the problems, not the only problem in, in our school system when it comes to fostering and encouraging creativity is the way in which the arts have largely been pushed out um, over the last several decades. Um, and again, that's not the only way for folks to develop our creative muscles, but certainly it's, it's a rich area when it comes to developing and sustaining and sharing creativity. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen a deprioritization of arts education in, um, I was going to say public education. I'm, that's the area I work in the most, but I'm guessing it's possibly true in, in um, private education as well, at least in some cases. Uh, and it's really unfortunate because um, I think having a strong arts education starting at a really young age and up through our education system, our school system would, would be really helpful in fostering uh, us all having creativity and, and bringing it to the world. Um, and I think one of the reasons I, I, just going back to that phrase I said about it being beaten out of us, I think one of the reasons that happens is it's risky because if we think creatively, we start to question the boxes that we're put in. We start to question the systems that um, we're a part of. We start to think, well, what, couldn't there be a better way to do this that would be um, any number of things, more just, more fun, more beautiful? Uh, and that, that's threatening to folks who benefit from uh, the systems that we exist within now. Um, so I don't mean to phrase it as a like um, intentional conspiracy theory exactly, but I think it's like, it's sort of natural that, uh, you know, folks who are benefiting from the way things are lean on the scale to say, well, let's not mix it up too much. I mean, like we'd love to see a little you know, some new ideas and a little innovation, but not so much that it upsets uh, the way that we've been doing business here. And so, you know, for those of us who feel really committed to reimagining entire systems like the education system, uh, it's imperative that we build those muscles. It's imperative that we encourage each other to think more and more boldly and creatively to bring our imagination into this work and say, what could look really different um, what would we have to do to get to that world that would look really different and, and better um, in whatever ways we define that term? Uh, so I, I think that uh, there, is, there is some ways in which constraints are put on it. And part of what Tunde and I are trying to do in this book is encourage everyone to push, push against those constraints. Yeah, and it's so needed right now um, in all assets, like aspects of not only education, but when you graduate, what do you do with your life, right? Um, from a hiring perspective, I need thinkers like that. I need thinkers to say, what if we did this? And in, in fact, I expect it because we're in this world of ever changing in social media and marketing and, and education is changing and upside down. And we saw hints of that even in the pandemic with the K-12 education system. So I know we could talk about that topic forever, but let's let's go dive a little deeper into your book here. And we talked a little bit about what creativity is and, and how it diminishes over time with people, but what does it mean to be a creative hustler? in your book and, and why is it important? And like, how, how do you become a creative hustler? Yeah, I, I, I think we, Tunde and I sort of understood how fraught the word hustle was going to be. And we talk about it in the book right at the beginning. We say like, hustle means a lot of things. It's a seventies dance move. It's a con or getting over on someone. It's this like working really hard mentality. Um, you know, we, we both come from hip hop culture where it often has a pretty positive connotation like to have, you know, hustle means like ambition, essentially, um, and, and willing to work for something, uh, being willing to work for something. So I think that we were mostly channeling that notion of hustle. For us, it felt important to put the word with creative 
because um, if creativity is about imagination, seeing things in new ways, all of those kind of pieces we were just talking about, we wanted to get to the like rubber meets the road part of putting those ideas into action. Um, so like marrying that creative thinking and way of being and in and viewing the world with uh, applying it and starting to make change in our own lives, in our communities and in the world around us. Mm. And interestingly, so uh, at LCG, we just had our first team retreat. And one of the things we did is the Clifton Strengths test, where it identifies different like strengths within yourselves. And when I heard you talking, just because that was recent, it was more of like, it's marrying like different, more creative types of strengths. Like I, like I was strong in ideation, for example, mm. right? So ideation, but also with more of execution. Like there's some people that just say, just tell me what to do. And I'm really good at figuring it out and doing it efficiently, but it's marrying those two, right? So right. the ideation, maybe a little bit of strategic, cause that requires a lot of strat like creativity too, but that's the best of both worlds. Yeah. And it's a lot to ask of ourselves. Right. And so part of why we wanted to share s stories of inspiring folks who find that balance um, and some like tools and activities to help people is because it, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask ourselves to both be creative and coming up with new ideas and ways of being in the world. And then at the same time, like operationalizing those. So I think it's important that we have patience and grace with ourselves and each other as we try to do that. Um, probably some aspects of that come more naturally as you're talking about with those kind of strengths finder, strength finder, <laughs> like analyses, audits, uh, tests, whatever they are, um, you know, they, they can help us sort of may maybe see where we naturally gravitate and where we want to like do a little more exercise and building up our muscles. Um, but yeah, just want to acknowledge it's, it's a lot that we're, we're, we're trying to get ourselves and our readers and our students uh, to do something that's pretty hard. And that's why, that's why we thought it was worth digging into and, um, putting a lot of effort into how to use words and images and activities to, to surface um, some of the some of the ways there. Sam, I really love this book. I'm going to show it for the people seeing a video clip, but most of you will just be able to say, wow, Alana says it's a beautifully designed book. It obviously <laughs> should be because it's in partnership with the Stanford D School, but it's small. It's I am hard on books too. And it's like got plastic coating. It's got a great like book marker in there. It's beautifully designed in the chapters. It's easy to read, full of color and vibrancy. So I just want to say that of people that can't see it visually, it's a really cool book. And even for those of you that say, I don't read books, it makes it easy to read a book, to be honest. Um, but while we can't go through all of the chapters, I know that they're like, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this chapter would be good for our audience, this chapter. And we started talking about it before the show too. But I'd like to touch on a couple of them. And it is designed in three sections. So you have three sections, one, two, and three. And then there's like four-ish chapters in each section. right? Mm -hmm. So within section one, you talk about establishing your code. And you have chapters like principles matter, discover who you are, then show others, protect your peace, um, build courage, live in creativity. And gosh, I don't know how we pick one to talk about or a couple, but which, what story do you think you want to share that might be salient to our audience in section one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the constraint there. I, whew, it's hard. I'm in love with all of these stories and all of these people that we had the privilege of talking with to write these chapters. And I should shout out all the people. We talked to a lot of people that for one reason or another, it didn't fit in this particular book. As you mentioned, it's a pretty small book. We had serious constraints on word count, page numbers, all of that. Um, so just amazing folks that we got to talk to as we were digging into like, what does it mean to be a creative hustler? And then what, what, you mentioned that this section, the first section is about establishing your code. What does that mean? How do folks who we admire as creative hustlers, how do they do that? Um, so, so many amazing stories beyond even the three that you're looking at right there. Um, 
So would love to just shout out the three people, uh, Christopher Squint Sandifer, Aisha Curry, and David T.C. Ellis. I think it makes sense to d- dig into David T.C. Ellis's story a bit because this is an education uh, podcast and community, and um, T.C. is a, as an educator. Um, and just somebody who I've known and admired for a long time. And one of, one of the really cool things about getting to work on um, this particular chapter is that I actually wrote a book uh, about TC and the school that he started in St. Paul, Minnesota, 11 years ago. So my first book, Hip Hop Genius, talked about the high school for recording arts. That book is an extremely different kind of book. It has none of the visual excitement that you were just describing. It's it's a bunch of words on pages. It's much more of a nerdy, you know, book for folks who really think about education and or hip hop and are interested in thinking about how the two can, should, and already are influencing each other. And I never felt like the format of that book captured David T.C. Ellis's creative hustle. I mean, this is someone who really struggled in school himself as a student, um, you know, dropped out, left school, ended up finding his way into an alternative program, had all sorts of careers in his in his young life. Um, really interesting, diverse set of hustles, basically, that he was engaged in um, and wound up getting a, a recording uh, contract uh, through Prince with Warner Brothers. Um, and had this career as a musical artist, and then brought all of the creativity and chutzpah, uh, to use a word from the uh, Yiddish language, um, to his work uh, as an educator, right? So he, after after um, recording an album, recording with all these amazing artists, he made his way back to the Twin Cities, opened a recording studio, um, started meeting young people who were more excited to spend time in his recording studio than they were at school. Um, and he saw an opportunity to engage them through the studio and had, again, the creativity and the confidence and the courage, as I think we use, you know, that's the word we use in the chapter title, to say, like, I don't have a degree in education, school leadership or anything like that, but I know what I'm doing. I know how to engage the young folks here and I know how to, to the, bring people in to do the parts I don't know how to do. So he hooked up with his former high school principal and they started this program out of his recording studio. Um, and so for him, like that, that, that courage and that confidence to, to take something on like that has bestowed a massive blessing on a community for the past 22 years that he has run the high school for recording arts in the twin cities. Um, and hundreds and hundreds, I don't know, thousands. I'm not, I don't, you know, I've lost track of the number. Um, of young people who traditional schools were failing to serve, um, the schools were failing, not the young people, um, have been able to come to this school, to this program and thrive and graduate and go on to do great things in the world. And this school has now been influencing educators from all over uh, the country and the world who come and visit and take inspiration or read the book or find out about it in any number of ways. I just was out there um, just less than a year ago for the, they hosted a, a big con- deeper learning conference there. Um, I think it was the first deeper learning conference sort of as part of the series that has run for years out of high tech high in San Diego. Um, this one in Minnesota was the first one outside of, of, uh, the San Diego location. Um, so just incredible what TC has done and, and his clarity of how that creative courage that he developed as a young artist has um, pierced through his entire career as an educator and seeing the incredible outcomes from that, it felt like a really important story to share and to get kind of into the, the weeds. I mean, it's a short, all the chapters are short, but even in that short amount of time to try to get down to like, what were some of those early lessons um, that he, that he had so that we can kind of almost as readers um, borrow them, even if we weren't there with Prince having that experience, like mm-hmm. we, we can, um, metabolize them into our own, uh, you know, constitution as worth composing ourselves and saying, how can I channel some of that in what I do? Yeah. And that is such an inspiring story. I've followed, um, the high school for recorded arts, uh, quite a bit, and they've been recently covered, um, with some other partners like Soundtrap and whatnot. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I just walked away going, wow, 
that's a school. And when you really think about unboxing and thinking outside of the box, that really defines it. And I was thinking about some of our other podcast guests that we've had and, and might resonate with our audiences. You know, we've interviewed people like educator Lisa Heifel, and she, during the pandemic, got tasked to redesign a school entirely. Mm. Which is so awesome. A virtual academy. What does school look like? 100% virtual, not pandemic driven. How do we make sure it's inclusive and fun and engaging? So we'll put that episode in the show notes for your folks. But I want you to come away with there's all sorts of different type of creative endeavors, too. There's there's an everyday educator like someone is inspiring, like Lisa Heifel. There's someone like a Jose Vilson who's really making math accessible and fun and talking about equity and justice and math. And that inspires me. So you can be just teaching your subject and infuse this creative hustle too. Um, And I think about people like Lily Jones, who we've interviewed really early on in our podcast, who said, hey, I love teaching, but what else? And she had that bravery to say, what do I really love doing? Let me start doing curriculum for other brands. Let me start doing this and that. And now she has a whole community of educators that she teaches to create curriculum and and do a side hustle or eventually transition out of the classroom. So I just wanted to give some other examples. We'll put all of those in the show notes too for you folks if you're interested too. But there's so many flavors of that. When you were saying build courage, live in creativity, I was just reminiscing of all these beautiful people that I'm lucky to know. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's how tuned in I felt. And one of the things that we talked about when we were designing the class creative hustle, which the book kind of stemmed out of, uh, was how the people that we know and the access that we've had to their stories and their wisdom have been like one of our secret superpowers. We feel like to the extent we've been able to do anything in the world, it's so based on that inspiration and, and that wisdom. And so one of the things we wanted to do with the class and with the book was crack that open and just share it with a lot more folks. And it was an excuse for us to dive deeper with, with some of the people who have inspired us the most and with, with some intentionality, right? So maybe we heard some of these stories from them over a meal or a beverage or a walk or something, but to go back to them and say, actually, I'm trying to write about this now. And I'm trying to understand how that value, you know, where that came from. In, in your life and your work, not so I can copy it, but just so I can better understand it, see where it shows up in myself and, um, and that sort of thing. So I totally feel you on that. Like, we're so lucky. I mean, just folks you were just naming that, you know, you get to be in conversation with them and learn with them and um, grow with them. And so, you know, thinking about how we crack that open and share that with a lot more people. And, you know, for you, that's happening. At least one way that's happening is through podcast. And for us, at least one way it's happening is through this book. Book, Yeah. So section one really feels like a found foundation type of, you know, like know you establish your code. What are your principles? Discover who you are, build that courage. But then we get into section two of the book and it's about knowing your network. And it's got chapters like people matter, design you with others, receive better so you can give better and accelerate through collaboration. So I feel like we're building on that foundation in this one, but some really core lessons. Is there one that sticks out in this area that you think would be really appropriate or inspiring for our audience? I mean, it's It's so hard. hard. I feel like they all, you know, this one is all each section, really. I'm not going to try to make it sound like this is the, you know, the, (laughs) These are really all worth engaging and like, you don't have to buy the book. I mean, of course it's great if you do, it's, it's beautiful, all that good stuff, but you can get it at the library. You can do the audiobook. You can, um, you know, do it on ebook, whatever, but like, these are such good stories. They're such, they're such good stories. Um, I mean, maybe Sarai's story, um, that you just mentioned receive better so you can give better. I feel like that's an important one for this audience and, and for, for a lot of folks, because, um, you know, we, we, we did this activity actually when we taught the creative hustle class that I learned from my colleague Minu Singh. Um, and it comes from the Trobriand Islands um, and this notion of a Kula ring. But the way that, that Minu taught it to, to us, it, she, it was called reciprocity ring. And we ask our students to um, put up some like things that they want or want to do um, and then help each other uh, like find ways. So like, let's say I said, I I wrote up, I want to learn Portuguese and you might write like, you know, put up a a note next to that and say like, I actually speak fluent Portuguese and I'd be happy to have coffee and 
speaking Portuguese with you every couple of weeks or something. And one of the pieces of feedback we've gotten as we've done this with students is like, it's much easier to do the second part than the first part. It's like easier to offer something to someone than it is to actually write down and put up publicly something that uh, a request, like something that we, we want. Um, it's a really powerful exercise, by the way, I like, I highly recommend doing it. Um, but I think to, to that point, that's part of why Sarai, the chapter about Sarai and her story is, is so powerful because of the way that she modeled receiving help um, so that she could help others. And she tells a few stories in the chapter um, about people who helped her at crucial points in her life. She had a guidance counselor tell her in high school that she um, could not uh, get funding to go to college. Um, and there was someone at her church who kind of intervened and let her know that that wasn't true and helped point her in the direction of how um, she could pursue resources to go to college. And so she turned around and, and used that knowledge and that inspiration to help thousands of um, students who are undocumented find the path to um, post-secondary education. It's just so powerful. And she's so clear about the way that um, being vulnerable and receiving help uh, has allowed her at multiple points in her career to turn around and open up doors for other folks. And I, it's, it's a really powerful reminder to me um, that having that mix of vulnerability and I think, again, ambition um, is a really powerful blend. Um, and she talks about going into tech um, competitions, going up against really intimidating teams of, of um, designers and speaking from her heart and being raw and being vulnerable um, and, and trusting her audience to hold that with her. Um, and the amazing things that have, have happened in, in, in her career um, as a result of that. So super powerful story, super powerful person. Um, and I feel extremely lucky. This is someone who I didn't know prior to working on this project. And Tunde actually said, like, when we were talking about this section, we have to talk to Sarai. And I'm just, I'm very grateful uh, for that because we've become friends and, and um, I've just learned a tremendous amount. And I feel really um, excited about what we were able to capture, even in the, you know, the relatively few pages we had to share her story. We were able to hit a few really interesting points of her career from the, the help she's given you a, thousands of young people in going to college to some really powerful work she did um, right at the start of the pandemic around helping to make sure that many, many families um, in the area that she lives and works um, at, were able to maintain their housing, even in a really challenging time. So just chock full of inspiration. And I love how you you frame the story in the beginning of it started with like a no. It started of like, you can't do this. Right. this. This is the reality. And, and it would have ended there for so many people. Do you know what yes. I mean? And it, they wouldn't have been wrong, right? Like, why would I not trust this guidance counselor? So yeah, I, sorry, I got, I, no yes. Worries. Totally. Yeah, I feel like, you know, our audience of educators are taught no a lot. Like they're, they're said, no, you can't do this and teach within this and do all of this. And a lot of the times you have to pick your battles in education and figure out, where you ultimately just say, no, I'm doing it this way. And just trust me, this will be better. Um, there's that. But then on the ed tech world, I mean, they're 100% founded in breaking the nose. <laughs> like, you, you tell me it can be this way. Let me show you this piece of tech that can completely flip it upside down. So I feel yeah. like it really... Just, just for the ed tech folks in the crowd, uh, you know, Sadai's story does involve working, creating some, some ed tech as well. So it, it may be particularly interesting for those folks yeah. to, to read about what she has built. Um, and I just thought too, um, from a personal level, if you don't model receiving, you can't, you, your team won't be able to do that and it won't create that reciprocity. Right. And I love that you receive better so you can actually give better. And it's so much harder than you think, like you said, about being able to receive. And with educators, I'm talking to you folks that that really have trouble asking because in general, you know, you are, the system has isolated you. You shut your door and you say, I guess I got this. And every time, sometimes you might ask, you maybe had a bad experience. But how can we form, you know, in education, we call them PLNs, professional learning networks or PLCs that are based in schools. How can we create some type of community that you can feel safe enough 
to ask because it's so healthy for growth and development. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, for me, just personally, that's been a part of my maturing, I think, in my career is realizing that that's not, I don't know, uh, an act of weakness, but an act of strength to be able to to ask for help in those ways to an individual, to a group, publicly. Um, so totally feel and appreciate that. And that's one of the things I love about this particular chapter of the book. Yeah, as a leader, you can't really, you're not going to win if you say, I got it all. And don't help me, I got it all. You know, you really have to model vulnerability and embrace that I don't know it all. Please, if you have an idea, please help me. <laughs> I need help. I do that all the time when I'm trying to navigate this agency because it's a crazy unknown world. If you have an idea, please help me. Hey, I need help with this. I'm not very good at this. <laughs> like We all have our strengths. And so I love that that brought that out. Um, yeah. Section three. So now we're kind of getting into it. I feel like it's almost like a deeper dive into this pyramid. But section three is about creating your rituals. And this will resonate with educators and ed tech professionals alike, but just really anybody. I looked at all of these and I'm like, oh, my God, I need to reread every single chapter. But you have things like about practice matters. Do your research and your me search. You turn losses into learning and a whole chapter on that. Don't let productivity kill your creativity. And I love how you ended with that one, too. But if we had to kind of talk and go a little deeper into one of the points here for our audience, what yeah. do you think would be the most valuable? Well, I, I, thanks for pointing out the intention that we had in ending on this le lesson around not letting productivity kill creativity, because I think it's so important. And I think we, we kind of owe it to our readers after putting hustle in the title to end on a note of saying, yes, there's a need to act to move, to get stuff out into the world. There's also a need to slow down, to take care of yourself, to take care of those around you, to let others take care of you. Um, and um, so that's what we, we talk about in the chapter about not letting productivity kill creativity. And we, we that chapter focuses on uh, Tessa Aragones, who um, is a marketing executive, uh, has had a really impressive career and shares with us some kind of personal rituals that that she has um, that help her to not be, be so focused on productivity and shipping product or messages or whatnot um, that that she doesn't do the regenerative um, self-care uh, work that keeps her going, that keeps her ideas fresh, that keeps her um, excited to do the work that she does. Um, so talking with her mom every morning is, is one of those rituals. Um, physical fitness, you know, just these things that are like really important balances. And, and I think sometimes it, it's like positioned as like one, like antithesis, right? It's like either I'm being productive or I'm doing these things. And I think part of what Tessa helps us see in her, in her chapter and in the story she shared is the way those things feed each other. And that it's not like I'm taking time away from my creative endeavors to do these things. It's like I'm doing these things and that is feeding and amplifying the creative endeavors. Um, so I, I just, I need that reminder. I felt like most of the people that I talk with, their problem isn't that they're not doing enough. It's probably that they're doing too much. Um, it's said often in the design world, like great design is as much about what you keep out as what you put in. Um, and I think that's true with our creative hustles. It's like, how do we slow down, focus on the important pieces um, and build rituals in our lives that are regenerative? Yeah, well said. I, I feel like for those of you that feel guilty, like taking a walk or, you know, going and getting your special treat that may require a walk or taking a longer shower or making time for a workout. Like these are all things that I love that you say it's, it fuels this cycle. If you do that, you become potentially a better educator in the classroom. You become, maybe you have ideas. Like my team goes, Hey, this idea was in the shower. And you know, like I could tell like it's, it's, or I got this idea when I was walking. You don't tend to do it when you're staring at a screen or you're staring in a classroom for eight hours plus a day, right? And the way you framed it was beautiful because it lets go of guilt. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, like I said, I needed as much as anyone, you know, that, that particular lesson, that reminder, and I'm, I'm grateful to Tessa for it. And I think it's a really important note to end. You know, we, we start the book with Squint's story about, you know, talking about how to center his principles, his values every day, um, all day. And uh, we end with Tessa's story about, um, about this. And, and I, I, I just, to me, those are such important notes um, to start from our values and to end with that balance and taking care of ourselves and finding the space um, to both recharge and also to like find inspiration. What could be more important than those, than those things? Yes. hundred percent. Um, so we kind of navigated throughout this entire book. I feel like we haven't done it justice because you really have to read it. I loved all the chapters. I loved how you did focus on individual stories. And like you said, they were different types of stories with different backgrounds. And wow, we're now talking about cooking. Like that was really inspiring for me. And I think for all of you out there know that there will be a story that just unequivocally like just inspires you and go, yes. I'm doing this. And because Sam is an educator in his book, he allowed some kind of dotted lines and says, okay, let's put this into action. Let's not just get you inspired. And then you go zone out on a Netflix show, right? Like <laughs> let's, let's do something with it. And at the end of the book, you have two bigger activities, which I love. And I wanted to print them out and do them with our team too internally here. But do you want to talk a little bit about like how you tried to put some of this into action for people that are like, okay, all of this resonated with me, but, but how do I, how do I get started with this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the book, uh, began as a class that Tunde and I taught and it was half Stanford students and half students from the organization that Tunde co-founded and leads called street code Academy, um, in East Palo Alto. Um, so the book is, it came out of an educational experience that we were designing. And part of that experience was this, um, activity that we called gifts to goals, right? So we asked people to think about what are your gifts? And those might be things that have always come easily or naturally to you, or they might be things that you just, for some reason, feel compelled to work really hard at, even though they don't come that easily to you, right? It doesn't mean they're easy, but what are the things that you bring to the world where you feel like you really bring, bring value to your community, to yourself, to the people around you? Um, and then goals are like, what, what is the change that you hope to move in the world? What, what would you like to see happen? Um, and then those are kind of these two ends uh, and we build a bridge throughout the book. Each of those sections we just talked through is a lane of that bridge, right? Principles being the first. Those are those values we talked about in TC's story. Um, people, your network, your community is the second lane. That was Sarai's story that we talked about. And then um, practices. Uh, what are your routines and rituals that, that help you move from your gifts to goals is that third section um, where we talked about Tessa. Um, and so we actually in the class and then in the book, uh, try to help you build that bridge. We, at the beginning, we ask you to think about what are those gifts? What are those goals? And then at the, at the end of each section, we ask you to fill in like really like on a piece of paper. And we talk about how to create the, you know, how to frame the paper so that it all fits. And, you know, what, how, how are these pieces going to help you move across? And we've had these amazing experiences with students and folks who have done workshops with us, sending us pictures of these up over their desk, over their bed, um, and talking about how it's helped them through job transitions, through um, life moments. Um, and so we really just wanted to pay that forward in the book. We just were like, let's not make it purely um, a passive experience of, of taking these stories in. Let's ask. So literally, actually, every chapter ends with a pretty specific prompt of an activity, but they're all feeding into that larger uh, flow from gifts to goals that I was just describing. So obviously you can pick up the book and just read um, and and not do those pieces, but they're there and it's been really, like I think to me the most gratifying part of having the book out in the world have been the pictures people have sent of their gifts to goals worksheets that they've built at home um, or just them telling me like this particular prompt was extremely helpful at the end of this particular chapter. Um, it, you know, we really did have this aspiration that this would be um, an engaged reading experience. And so hearing that for, for at least, you know, some of our readers, it is playing out exactly in that way. And I love your idea of like doing it as a team. Um, 
that's how we started with doing it as a team in a class, right? So I know, I know, I know that works. The bigger question mark for me was like, will it work for individuals sitting at home with the book? And we did kind of prototype and try that out as we were working on the book, asking folks, friends, family, former students, like, can you try this at home and tell us, is this landing? Is this working? Um, so we had some reason to believe it would, but it's different when someone just picks it up off a shelf and gives it a try. I know so. in the in the field of education and also workplaces, it's it's not uncommon to have, you know, book clubs where where you do talk through it. And there is there's a gift of someone sharing their vulnerability with others that they, you get to know each other on a deeper level than rather a transactional, okay, let's 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 lesson plan or you do this marketing for me. And mm. you can also hold each other accountable a little right. bit. And saying it out loud to others is powerful, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're giving me inspiration that like at some point it would be fun for Tunde and I to like offer, you know, like an online cohort and say like, hey, anybody who wants to come and do this together. Yes. It just gives some workability around that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, And that would be that would be really cool. Yeah. So. We could talk about this book literally for a couple more hours. We can go into all the chapters, but I hope for the listeners, you've just got a little taste of what it would be like to read this book. Um, Sam is also an inspiring individual from the long bio I talked about. So we'll tell you at the end of the podcast how you can follow him and everything he's doing in education in the world of design and, and equity and justice. But Sam, one of the questions before we get into the real outro, which is really sad, no more talking about fun things, creativity. But one of the questions that we like to ask our audience or our guests when they come on is just you personally. And every day is is somewhat challenging in this world of, gosh, unknown. In the world of education, it's incredibly challenging. In the world of leading, you're doing like book tours and all the things and teaching. How do you refuel yourself on those days that you are just feeling like you're hitting your head against the wall? Like what works for you is some of our guests do physical things. Some of them read, some of them, you know, watch or family or this, what gets you the most? And I know there's so many things, but I find inspiration just listening to others and what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I feel very much like a work in progress and so I'm figuring, I'm, I feel like I'm always figuring that out. Right. And I don't have one set formula, a couple routines I have, I think in the book, I mentioned this idea of morning pages, um, that I got inspired by the, another book, the artist's way. Um, and I've, I've hacked it a little bit to, to make it morning page instead of pages, plural, because I have found my journaling practice has kind of gone up and down over my life and, my, my little hack that I might offer to others is like, I think constraint can be really valuable. So I limit myself to one page every morning. It's a big page. I have a big, bigger than eight and a half by 11 notebook, but it's, I I stop when that page is done. Um, and I think that that constraint is part of what allows me to really stick with it. Um, because if I wrote too much, um, I think the next day I'd be like, Oh, I don't have time for all that. Or I already said everything I have to say, or, you know, that sort of thing. And then I get out of practice. And I think that's what's happened to me at other points in my life. So this has really been effective to just do the page. Similarly with physical activity, and this is much more recent that I've been experimenting with this, but um, keeping it short, keeping like I have a a, a short morning uh, routine of sorts, um, stretching and strength building that um, I've been able to keep much more consistent recently because I don't go too hard. So I'm not super sore the next day. So I'm not like, oh man, I don't have time today. It's like, no, you ha- you do because you're, you're keeping it brief. So I think like um, those are a couple of the things lately that I've been really like working on a daily discipline around. And then I would just add like the family stuff is so important, like being surrounded by and, and prioritizing time with people I love who inspire me, younger folks, elders in particular, but also you know people in my age range um, feeds me beyond, you know, anything I can put into words. So that really making sure that I'm prioritizing that too. Yeah. And I I love that you were the first person to talk about constraints. And I think that's appropriate because it it is, you know, your book is constrained intentionally. You have activities that are constrained and it it forces you because a lot of the end of the day, it's not about like you 
you journaled five pages once a month. It's about consistent small behaviors. And, and that is such a good way to get your toddler brain to say, oh, you don't have time or, oh, that was so hard last time. Right. No, nope, you just two minutes every day. Go, go. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, teaching me, you're teaching me. So thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Um, for all of our listeners um, that want to get in touch with you, how can they follow along with your journey? What's the best way to get in touch with you and the work that you do? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, creativehustle.org is the website for the, this book. Uh, hiphopgenius.org is the website for my, my first book. And we put out a 10-year anniversary edition last year with co-authors. Um, k12lab.org is a link that will give a lot of information about what we're doing at the D school and in K12 education. My personal website is samsidel.is.is. Um, and that has links to a lot of other things that I've been working on. Um, and then I'm on uh, some social media platforms, uh, at hustlington, H U S S L I N G T O N. Uh, so look forward to being in touch on any of those platforms and feel free to hit me up. I think there's contact links definitely on my personal site. And I think on various other ones of the ones I just rattled off. So yeah. um, we'd love to and hear from for those of you that are, might be running or in the grocery store or on the go, listening to this podcast, know that we'll put that all in our show notes mm -hmm. too. Thank you. And, um, our show notes, um, Sam, if you have any additional like activities or resources or links, we'll put all of those in there as well to kind of really hit the point home. Because what I do want you to walk away with at least is just to pause and say, am I wayfinding to things that fuel me? Am I doing things that matter? Am I allowing time to really discover who I am? And I just infuse some type of creativity in your day-to-day, -day, right? So you talked about like different ways to do that. There's so many inspiring stories in the book. Um, I think this will resonate for anybody thinking about, gosh, I'm, I'm maybe a K-12 educator now, but is there a different role in education I want to play? If I'm in ed tech, holy moly, do I need this book? Especially that last chapter around just like balance and productivity and rituals and all the things. So I hope this was valuable to our audience. Please let me know um, in social or in the, sh in the show notes or anything like that, because I'd love to have more inspiring authors like Sam on the show. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. The show notes that I've been talking about, you can access them at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 37, or you can just follow us on our socials on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and we'll always be promoting the episode. And especially when this launches, we'll be promoting it up and down everywhere around sam you're gonna get annoyed with us <laughs> so thank you everybody thank you so much sam for spending your time and sharing your advice and your wisdom with my audience and we will see you all next time on all things marketing and education take care thanks so much for listening to this week's episode if you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper you can visit leone consulting group.com backslash podcasts for all show notes links and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.